I love the difference between how an adult enters a swimming pool and how a kid does. Kids know how to get in the pool, but somehow we forget as we're adults, right? When an adult gets in the pool, they may dip their toe in the water, trying to decide if the water's warm enough, and then step a step or two in, hoping to adjust to the water. But not a kid. They know what to do. They see the water, they start to run, they jump, grab their knees, and yell, cannonball! As the splash rises, hoping to soak in any of the timid souls standing on the side. In fact, on a cold day like today, that's the only way anybody's getting in this water. It was snowing this morning, the sun's come out now, but trust me, if you were to test the water first with your toe, there's no way you'd have the courage to get in. The only way in is to jump, because once you jump, the splash is inevitable. That's how a cannonball works. You can't tiptoe your way into a cannonball. When you do a cannonball into the pool, you go all in, fully committed. And once you jump, the splash sends ripples of impact all the way across the pool. And following Jesus works like that. Jesus has harsh condemnation for those who sort of want to tiptoe their way into following him. You know, halfway following Jesus, but sort of halfway following themselves. Jesus says it doesn't work like that. Jesus calls all of us to go all in following him. One of the things I love about this church is that we have 150 years of history of seeing what God does when God's people do just that. We know what God does when God's people go all in in sacrifice and service and love and faith to give their whole lives to Jesus. We have seen how God then works through those people to bless the church, the community, to bless the whole world. And right now, like a kid climbing a high dive for the very first time, standing on the edge of the board, toes over the water, it's our turn. It's our generation's turn to go all in for Jesus, counting on God to create a legacy of ministry impact that will last for generations to come. That's why this season of ministry that begins this spring here at FCC, this season where we get to go all in with our whole lives, trusting God to make a splash of ministry impact beyond our expectations, this season is called Cannonball. Cannonball is a two-year adventure in which we're trying to kind of embody the spirit of the disciple Peter. Now, Peter wasn't a perfect disciple, but one thing I like about him is when he knew what Jesus wanted of him, he went all in. There's this great scene in the Gospel of John where Jesus, now resurrected, is on the shore cooking breakfast. And Peter and the other disciples are out in the boats fishing and they see Jesus. And when Peter realizes who it is, he leaves his friends in the boat and jumps in the water to swim to shore. And that's what we get to do during this cannonball season. And that's why the primary goal for cannonball is actually about your and my discipleship. Our primary goal above anything else is that all of us 100% engagement. All of us would go all in following Jesus. 
under this primary goal, we're gonna challenge one another to jump into faith. What would it look like for you to go all in trusting Christ? To jump into life, we'll talk about the way we are meant to live, loving God, loving everyone, making disciples and living as missionaries. Are you ready to jump into that life? And part of our primary goal is that we would jump into generosity, living open-handed, believing that everything we have comes from God and everything we have is meant to be used for God's purposes. This, this all-in life, that's our number one goal. That's the jump. It, it'll be the hard part. But remember what we said about a cannonball? Once you jump, you sort of get the splash for free. The splash just happens. And that's the secondary goal. The secondary goal for this cannonball adventure is all the ministry impact that will result when we go all in for Christ. We're talking about three waves of ministry that we are celebrating. The first we're calling waves of ministry. That will be our core budget for the next two years. Because cannonball is everything we do, it includes what we call our regular budget. Although right now it's anything but regular. We're seeing families come to Christ. We're seeing people get baptized. Our congregation is growing. We are increasing our capacity to serve our community. And Cannonball will continue all of that. Me, the most exciting thing about Cannonball and the future of FCC is just to see how the FCC kids area and programming, how it's all going to develop. I think this has amazing chance to bring a lot more kids in so that they can really share in God's love. The second aspect of the secondary goal is waves of impact. These are four targeted ministry areas that are in keeping with our budgeted priorities, but are beyond the scope of what we can do through our normal budget. We need to make another major investment in ministry preparation in our region. We need to expand our services to the hungry and unhoused. That need is rising in our community, and the church must respond to it with a rising ministry commitment. I really think it will give us the opportunity to be who we say we are in a very real way to our community. There's so much sadness, and there's so much hurt, and there's a lot of pain, and we can really make a difference as a church and we make a difference as an individual. We want to expand our commitment to church planting and one of the ones I'm most excited about is we're going to increase the ways that we partner with our global mission partners by traveling more to go see them and be a part of their ministry personally. I hope you're ready to be a part of that. The third aspect to our secondary goal that I want to tell you about is what we're calling Waves of Legacy. It's time for us to make a major investment in our facility to prepare it for the next 50 years of ministry. The facility we enjoy every day was mostly built in the 70s and a little bit in the 90s and early 2000s which means it is past its lifespan for effective ministry. And it's time for us to do a major update of worship spaces, lobbies, kids' spaces, adult education spaces, entrances, exits, parking lots, basically the whole building. Cannonball will allow us to begin that process 
as we go all in and trust God to make waves of ministry impact, leaving a legacy for years to come. You know, our DNA at First Christian Church is love God, love everyone, build disciples, and tell your story. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what you look like, um, we're gonna love you here and you're gonna be welcome here at First Christian Church. I know what we can do as a church that could leave a legacy in this community in East Tennessee. And so, here's what we believe God is asking all of us. God is asking each and every one of us to pray, to step out in faith, to allow God to change us and to challenge us. We know how we have benefited from the sacrifice of those 50 years ago who gave us the facility we have today, and now it's our turn to give that same blessing to the next 50 years. So, join me. The call is for 100% engagement in the mission of God's church through this season of Cannonball. As we serve together and give together and pray together and trust together in what God is going to do in us and through us. So, let's get to it, church. Let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. And let's run the race that's set before us. And together, let's say, Cannonball! All right, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. Hey, right now, I got a team that's passing out um, the guide that uh, our staff team has put together, a guide for this Cannonball experience. Um, you need one of these. Uh, we're going to just pass it out right now as we're getting started here. Uh, let me tell you what's in it while they're passing it out. Um, up front, you'll find some history of the church. You'll find some detailed information about the vision for the Cannonball Initiative over the next two years. Uh, also, you'll find in there a place to take sermon notes. Uh, today's sermon notes are on page 31. So maybe when you get your book, you just want to turn straight to page 31 so you can take sermon notes. Um, you'll find daily devotionals in the book. Again, I hope you'll do those every day. Just say, for this six weeks, I am completely in. I'm completely engaged. So do those daily devotionals. Also, you'll find in there group devotionals. Um, I would just say, just so we're clear, you are not all in with the Cannonball experience unless you are in a group. You are holding back if you're not in a group. So get in a group. Um, you can do that through our Sunday school classes. They're all on board with Cannonball. You can do that on Wednesday nights. We've got groups for men and women, uh, co-ed groups, parenting groups for young kids, parenting groups for teenagers. Um, we've got lots of stuff going on Wednesday nights. You can get in a group there. If you want to start a group or if you just want to be, you want somebody to teach you about all the group experience. You can go down to the library or to the Cannonball Hub, which somebody will tell you about later, and all, you can get all the group information you need there in the library or the Cannonball Hub. But you need to be in a group, and the, the booklet you just got is your guide for that group experience. Uh, if you're joining us online right now and you need a digital copy of the book, or maybe you're just in the room and you know I'm going to lose this book in five minutes, and you want to know how to access it on your phone or something like that, check out this QR code, take a picture of 
of it, scan it, do what you got to do. That link will take you to a place where you can get the digital copy of the book. Um, But whatever it takes, whatever you've got to do, I hope that you are fully engaged in the cannibal experience. Because we are going to be talking about this experience for the next 50 years. I'm absolutely confident we'll be telling the story and remembering uh, this six-week season for the next 50 years. And when we tell this story, uh, we'll tell it lots of different ways. Uh, some people will tell the story of, oh, didn't they, didn't they start a building project then? I think that's what they did. I think they started a building project. And some people will talk about, wasn't that the year they kind of did a leap forward in their ministry to the hungry in the region, and they did a lot more new stuff for hungry people? Yeah, that was right, yeah. Or wasn't that the year they got serious about mission trips and told everybody to get on a mission? Yeah, yeah. Lots of people will tell the story of this season in different ways, but I want to be clear. When you tell the story of the cannonball experience, I hope the story that you tell starts like this. Oh yeah, that was the month I went all in with Jesus. More fully and deeply than I had before. That was the month I stopped pretending like I was already all in and I admitted that I had been holding things back from the Lordship of Christ. That was the month that I took the time to sit before God and I discovered areas of sin and rebellion in my life and I confessed my sin and I repented of my rebellion and I found forgiveness in the lordship of Jesus. That was that, was that month. I did that, I remember. Maybe your story is going to start. I realized that I used the name Christian. I took the name Christian, but I had not fully surrendered every corner and every day to Jesus. That's the month when I recognized that I had been sort of dipping my toes into discipleship. Sort of sitting on the side of the pool, letting my legs dangle and my knees get a little bit wet. And I knew what I needed to do was jump all in. And today, we're not going to talk about the whole Cannonball Initiative today. There'll be time. You can read the book. You can learn about that in groups and stuff. Today, I just want to talk about the jump. Because everybody's got to jump. You know, when you stand on the edge of a jump. It's an interesting place to be, isn't it? Maybe you've been there before, right? Maybe it's when you're a really little kid and you're first jumping off the side of a pool and your your parents are actually holding your hands. It's not even really a jump, but it sure feels like one to you, right? Or or you're getting a little bigger and it's the first time that you climb up on the the big kid diving board and your toes stick over the edge. I remember um, I was on a high dive deciding whether to jump the first time I noticed my toes were hairy. I I must have been 11 or 12, and I I was just staring down at my toes. And I remember as I was contemplating whether or not to jump, I remember thinking to myself, oh, no, 
my feet are going to look just like my dad's. Oh, man. Yeah. You, you think about all kinds of things at the edge of a jump, don't you? You think about the brevity of life and the height of the fall and the impact of the water. Maybe you think to yourself, is my phone out of my pocket? You think about all kinds of things. I think about all the times I've been on the edge of a jump. Swimming pools and high dives and the dock at the lake. Creeks and swimming holes and waterfalls. You just sort of stand there at the edge of a jump, don't you? I, uh, I was here. There's a picture of Twisting Falls. Uh, it's up in Carter County. Um, I, I, I went there. I've been there four times. Four times. The first two times I went, it's a terrible trail. The hike's ridiculous. Some of you have been there. It's, it's, it's awful to get there. It's horrible. Um, first two times I, I got there, and I got to, got to that spot, sitting in that little, a little flat spot right next to the edge. I got sitting there, staring at my feet, staring at the water. Because the thing is, once you're in that spot, Eventually, you got to make a choice. You either jump or you walk away sad, right? You, you've been to the pool. Pools don't have high dives very often like they used to, but used to do. You, you could look for a pool with a high dive. You watch long enough, you'll see a kid climb and jump and climb and jump, but about every third kid, they climb. And they stand, toes over the edge, looking at the water. And you know what they're thinking, you know? They're thinking, I, I came up here to jump. I planned to jump. I've seen other people jump. I know how much fun it would be if I jumped. But golly gee willikers, I don't want to jump. Maybe you've been that kid. You either got to jump or climb down the ladder. And, and if you're surrounded by a bunch of nice kids while you climb down the ladder, they all say things like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, you'll do it next time, don't worry. If the kids you're surrounded by are not so nice, they'll shout other things, you know. Been to that Twisting Falls four times. Every time I got to that spot, and you only got two choices. You either jump, or you do what I did the first two times. And you walk away, and you walk away sad. I got home. Betsy was like, how was the waterfall? Oh, the waterfall was great. How was the hike? The hike was terrible. How was the day? Well, I, I didn't jump. I, I didn't jump 
I mean, I'd gone there to, to jump. And instead, I walked away sad. I think of that phrase, walk away sad. The Bible uses that phrase to describe a young man who went to Jesus and was trying to decide whether or not he would jump. In Mark chapter 10, we get the story of this guy. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Just think about the picture. Get a sense of the heart of this man. He sees Jesus walking down and he runs to catch him before he gets away. He runs to Jesus. He falls to his knees because he knows this is, and he was like me, hiking the Twisting Falls. I, I drove too fast to the trailhead. I hiked too fast to the waterfall. You got to swim across the creek to get to the trail. He, he runs to the jump. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I am ready to jump. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone, and you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud, honor your parents. Teacher, he declared, I've done all this since I was a boy. Just tell me what to do. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Don't miss that little bit. Jesus looked at him and loved him. That is the context of this interaction we're about to study. The young man, with all his eagerness, falls at Jesus' feet, profoundly desiring that Jesus direct him to life that lasts forever. And Jesus looks at him and loves him. Out of that love, he says, there's only one thing you lack. I need you to sell everything you have and give it to the poor so that you'll have treasures in heaven. And then I need you to follow me. Some of us, as you contemplate what it would mean for you to go all in with Jesus, for you to fully surrender to Jesus, you are going to discover that the thing he calls on you to sacrifice is the very thing you loved most. And you're going to say, God, why would you want me to give up this? And the answer is because God has looked at you and loved you. The motivation for the sacrifice that Jesus asks of this young man is his love for the young man. Because Jesus knows if he holds on to anything that he cares more about than Jesus, he will be cut off from the work of God in his life. So he says, because I see you, and because I love you, I'm going to tell you the truth. The only thing you've got to do is get rid of the thing you love more than me. Get rid of the thing you love more than me. And then follow me. And the man's face fell. 
There he stood at the edge of the board. It was the jump he'd come for. It was the thing he'd driven to and studied the maps and wandered through the woods to find. That jump. And then he counted the cost. And he walked away. Sad. Because he had so much wealth. He was being asked to give up so much. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, it's hard for people who have so much to enter the kingdom of God because they don't want to give up what they have for me. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed because in their culture, they thought that wealth and, you know, a big family or a big bank account or a big house, that that was somehow a symbol that you were blessed by God. So they're confused that these people find it hard to trust Jesus. How, and they're like, well, then who can be saved? And Jesus gives this super important, just such a simple truth. With man, it is impossible. The voices of this world and the things of this world cannot save you, Jesus says. But with God, everything's possible. Peter speaks up. And he says, we've left everything to follow you. And I love this moment because it's important to notice Jesus doesn't respond to Peter and say, well, that was a little bit excessive. I mean, leaving everything to follow me, that was kind of going too far, Peter. No. Jesus responds as if that is the rational posture to drop everything To follow him. In fact, not only does he think that posture is rational, he thinks that's actually the path to blessing. Look at what Jesus says. Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first in this world, many who are ahead in this world, will be last. And who are last will be first. Jesus wants you to know very clearly, as you contemplate the jump and the profound sacrifice it requires to give your whole life to Jesus, he wants you to know there is no sacrifice God cannot repay. There is no obedience that God will not bless. And on the other hand, what, will, what you will not sacrifice, Christ cannot redeem. What you will not sacrifice, Christ cannot redeem. You want God to redeem your family or your finances or your time or your life, unless you sacrifice for, for him, he cannot redeem that which you will not let go. And where you will not obey, God cannot bless. God can bless your obedience, but not your disobedience. Christ wants you to know 
Yes, the, the fall is far and the water is way down there, but the jump is awesome. But he also wants you to know that to follow Jesus is a jump all in situation. It, 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 there is no waiting in discipleship. There's no toe dipping into obedience to Christ. Yes, some of you, as you contemplate following Jesus, uh, you, you might say, I have a, you have a reasonable reason for de- delay, okay? You're studying the jump. You have legitimate questions about the reliability of the gospel, about the truth of the revelation of Jesus Christ, about the consequence and goodness of God's love for you. You've got legitimate questions. Great. Well, then study them seriously and diligently. In the same way, here's a little public service announcement. If you ever graduate from jumping into swimming pools to jumping into creeks and swimming holes and waterfalls, then here's a little PSA. Before every jump you ever take, you should first swim the basin to make sure it's clear. Even if you jumped it two days ago, you swim the basin because for all you know, a log got swept in there and you're about to jump to a log and break your legs, okay? So always study the jump before you jump. And the same applies to your faith. And if that's where you are, study the jump. But don't pretend you won't eventually have to jump. Because at some point, you are on the edge. The decision of obedience to Jesus is before you. And you will either jump or walk away sad. For some of you, this will be the initial decision. You need to declare at the macro level, I will, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And for some of you, it's the next jump. Because what you need to recognize is that you sort of jumped in, but you hung on to the diving board with one hand. And you have areas of your life that are un- surrendered and what we must not do at least in this room in this room we tell the truth to ourselves what we must not do is pretend that there is a way to halfway follow Jesus that halfway discipleship is still discipleship Jesus goes out of his way to teach that such a thing is not possible. Luke 14, large crowds are traveling with Jesus. He has hit the big time. He's blowing up on TikTok and YouTube. He's Instagram famous. And everybody wants to know what's Jesus going to teach next? What's Jesus going to do next? Here's what he does. If anyone comes to me, And does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even their own life. Such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. To the crowds, Jesus says, I want to be super clear. There is no waiting into obedience with me. There is no halfway strategy for discipleship of Jesus. There is pick up your cross, lay down your life, die to self, die to every human allegiance, even your most precious human allegiances, and name Christ as your one and only Lord. That's the jump, he says. And and, and before you make the jump, he says you ought to know how big the jump is. 
You know, if you were going to build a tower, wouldn't you first find out how much the tower costs? Because if you lay the foundation and then you can't finish the tower, people are going to make fun of you. Or, or if you're getting ready to go to war, won't you first send a couple spies to find out how big the opposing army is? And if you discover that their army is bigger than your army, you're going to send diplomats rather than soldiers. And try and figure out a way to work things out like civilized folk. In the same way, he says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. You see, Jesus does not leave an option for partial discipleship. Out there, maybe we can tell ourselves lies, but in here we tell the truth. Do not pretend that you can wade, dipping your toes, sitting on the edge, kicking, maybe getting a little water on your knees, and call that a commitment to Jesus. Don't tell yourself the lies that come so easily. Jesus gets my worship, but my wallet is mine. Jesus gets my Sunday, oh yeah, the whole day. I'll give that to Jesus. But Monday... Saturday night, Friday afternoon, those belong to me. Jesus gets my mind in Sunday school during the Sunday school hour. My mind is wholly devoted on Christ. But other than that, my mind is ruled by the Facebook algorithm. And whatever Facebook tells me to read, that's what I, that's what I read and study. Jesus gets my family. I'm going to love my family like Jesus does. But my enemies, oh, my enemies are mine alone. Don't pretend that Jesus accepts partial disciples. And I want to be clear. A lot of us today are pretending just that. Like somehow we were the ones who figured out how to jump in the pool without getting wet. Like we were the ones who finally figured out the secret of, you know, going swimming and not ruining our hairdo, you know. That doesn't work with Jesus. You go swimming with Jesus, your hair will get ruined. I mean, this is what happens. I mean, how did Jesus put it? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot have cannot be my disciples. And again and again, we see throughout the Gospels, Jesus confronts people, whereas they stand on the edge of the board, to make sure they know that what he is asking is an all-in commitment. Luke 9, they were walking along the road. A man said to Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, okay, but make sure you know, foxes have dens, birds have your nests. I've got no place to lay my head. So where I'm going is, is not, you know, the Ritz. He said to another man, Jesus says to him, follow me. And the man replies, I will, but first, let me go bury my father. First, let me fulfill my obligations to my family. And Jesus says, oh, I don't take second place. 
Let the dead bury their own dead. If you're going to follow me, your first and only obligation is to go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replies, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Elsewhere in Matthew, he offers similar clarity. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And right here, at the edge of the board, this is where Cannonball starts. For us as a church, and it's where it starts for you today. You, right now, stand with me at the edge of the board. Stare at your toes and the water below. Look around you at what you have grasped hold of, what you are unwilling to let go of so that you could jump all in to full surrender to Jesus. I did eventually make it back to Twisting Falls for a third time. I knew the way to the top of the falls quite well by then. I had gone up and down it and 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 up and down it the long way so many times. But that third time, here, we got video from that third time. It is awesome, by the way. Uh, if you need to go, I'll take you with it. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I know some of you have been. It is incredible. It's, it's my favorite waterfall jumping spot in the area now, and I've jumped off a lot of waterfalls in the area, but it's my favorite one. Um, I'll just tell you, I'm so glad I didn't have to climb down Twisting Falls a third time. I'm so glad. I sort of feel like I'll never have to climb down it ever again. Now I know how to get off Twisting Falls. You just sit there and slide. It's awesome. It's awesome. And I don't want to ever walk away sad from Jesus ever again either. I know it's easier for me. Um, I've been living a lifetime learning how to let go and jump in and trust Jesus. Not that it's easy always. It's still hard sometimes. I find some new area of rebellion some new place that I wasn't totally surrendered, and I hear Jesus again say, okay, Ethan, you're at the edge of the board again. You've been here with me before. Are you going to hold on or jump in? Maybe you're there today. Maybe you're there for the first time. Maybe you're there like me once again. And even while I've been talking, the Holy Spirit has just said, you know, he's talking about this habit you have, it's time for you to let go of. You know he's talking about your lust or your greed or your jealousy or your anger. You know he's talking about whether or not you're going to believe his promises and really surrender to Jesus. 
I'm so glad I finally jumped off. The second time I went back, it was awesome. I, just, I knew exactly what I was going to do. I hope you'll jump, too. Maybe for you, that means you're going to jump all into the cannonball experience, right? You're going to do the devos. You're going to get a book. You're going to join a group. You're going to stop by the cannonball hub, do all the things. That would be great. But it starts between you and Jesus. Because this thing where Jesus went around and declared to people, you can't serve two masters. It's me or anything else. That wasn't just the way Jesus used to roll. That's still what he does. Jesus is still calling on his disciples to give up everything else and follow him. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes Jesus in the letter he wrote to the Colossian church. In your Bible, Colossians chapter 1. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. He's how you know what God looks like. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That means you. You were created by Christ, praise God, and you were created for Christ, praise God. Jesus is the reason you exist, twice over. He's the reason you exist, and he's the reason you exist. He's why you exist. He is that goes on. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Think about that. As you sit on the edge of the pool with just a toe in the water, Swinging back and forth. Jesus intends to have supremacy in everything. Tell me about your life. Does Jesus have supremacy in every area of your life? And since I know the answer to that question, let me ask a follow-up. Are you willing to jump in? Are you willing to surrender? Are you willing to let go? To give Christ supremacy of that area where you have held on to mastery for yourself? That's where Cannonball starts. Here on the edge of the board. Paul goes on. He says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 
Once you were alienated from God, were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now you have been reconciled by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that has been heard and has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. And I, Paul, am its servant. God intends for Christ to have supremacy in all things. And God has made that possible in your life by the very sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus died because he looked at you and loved you. And out of his love, what Jesus knows is that the wisest, most joyful, most wonderful thing you could ever do is to give up all that you have so that you could follow him. And some of us today, we sort of pretended when we jumped in the water. We clung to the board with one hand, trying to stay just a little bit dry, stay a little bit in control, a little bit unsurrendered to God. Some of you today are refusing to study God's word because you don't want to learn God's commands because you know you're living in disobedience. You're actively trying to stay ignorant because you are afraid God will call you to greater obedience and greater sacrifice and greater surrender and greater holiness. What is the unsurrendered corner of your life? Would you stand on the edge of the board and believe Jesus when he says, no one has sacrificed anything in my name that has not been returned to them a hundredfold in this age and in the age to come. I'm sure I don't remember every time. But I remember so many times high dives, waterfalls, cliffs, where I've stood on the edge of the jump. And then I've walked away sad. I even remember sometimes, like with that with Jesus. In fact, it sort of feels like all of my worst memories in life are the times where Jesus and I stood on the edge of a jump and he invited me to lay down everything I had and follow him. And instead I gripped tighter. I lost out on the blessing of obedience. I lost out on the joy of surrender. I never got to see the splash that God would have done if I just trusted him. This is the first question of Cannonball. Are you going to walk away sad? Or are you going to take the next jump of surrender to Jesus? Will you give Christ the supremacy over every area of your life? Especially the one you're right now clinging to.
Maybe what you need to do is give your life to Christ in baptism. I mean, that is the symbol, right? We are pushed under the water into a tomb of water, a watery grave that we would die to ourselves and then rise to a new life that no longer belongs to us but belongs wholly to Jesus. Maybe you need to be baptized today. If you are ready to trust Christ in that way and you've never been baptized, then let's do it. Maybe today you need to come forward and let me pray with you. Because there is a war in your soul right now as you stand at the edge of a jump of surrender and you know that Christ will receive you if you just jump and trust him, but you are holding back and you want somebody to stand with you in prayer because you desire to follow Christ with your life. Let me pray for you today. Maybe you have legitimate questions about the reliability of Scripture, the authority of Jesus, the reality of the resurrection. Maybe you need to study the water a little bit like you would at a waterfall before you jump. Okay, come talk to me. But don't use those questions as an excuse to pretend like you're not at the edge of the board. And you are. And there are only two paths from there. Either you jump or you walk away sad. And if you're anything like me, too many times in life, you've stood at the edge with a sin you know you need to confess, but you can't find the words. With a prayer you know you need to ask for, but you hide it instead. With a surrender you know you need to make, but instead you let the rebellion continue. Let's not make today the day we walk away sad. Let's make today the beginning of a whole season of a life as a church, this whole cannonball season, a season where we see the jump and we take it because our God is good and we cannot outgive or outsacrifice our God. Every sacrifice we make is returned to us a hundredfold. Our God is faithful to that promise. Today, jump. Let me pray for you. Gracious God, accomplish in us your purpose. Break down the strongholds and the lies that prevent us in this moment from fully surrendering to you. Teach us, God, to trust in you, to anchor our lives in you. God, would you make it so that never again do I have to walk the path of that young man as I walk away sad with my hands full of things I will not give up for you. And instead, help me to see the path of your disciples who laid down everything that you might give them more than they ever imagined. This is my prayer for my life. And for the life of this whole congregation and all your people, may we jump in to your lordship and your salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.